Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie ahead, and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Fourth of July to you, my friend. Yeah, as you as well. This is this is kind of a big deal, isn't it? I mean, how many years does this make it that our uh, that our country has? Uh, what what uh, what birthday are we celebrating for our country? It was my understanding there would be no math, so you're, you're screwing <laughs> this on me. Uh, so let's say two hundred and seventy-six plus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, let's do it. Seventeen seventy-six. Thirty years later was uh, two thousand and six. Then eleven years yeah. after that. Uh, so it's a, a two hundred thirty. Uh, you know what? Let's bring on our guest. I bet she can do the math. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I am so thrilled to be welcoming PJ Manny back to the World Transform. PJ is the author of the best-selling and Philip K. Dick Award-nominated Revolution, book one in the Phoenix Horizon series. She is a former chairperson of Humanity Plus, the author of Empathy in the Time of Technology, How Storytelling is the Key to Empathy, and a frequent guest host and guest on podcasts, including, in fact, let's say especially, The World Transform. She's worked in motion picture PR at Walt Disney Touchstone Pictures, story development and production for independent film production companies, including such movies as Hook, Universal Soldier, and It Could Happen to You. Plus, she was a writer for two of the coolest TV shows of all time, Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, and Xena Warrior Princess. PJ is a culture vulture and a science fiction geek, and the daughter and mother of them, too. When not contemplating the future of humanity, she's a mother, wife, and education activist in California. PJ Manny, welcome to the World Transformed. Thank you so much for having me back, guys. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's great to have you with us. And now, if you could just uh, answer, how old is our country today? Uh, I would say 241, but I'm just calculic, so I'm not the person to ask. That sounds right to me. It, that, that, it is right. It is right. Uh, I, but I had to do the math, so, you know. <laughs> I figured if I got talking, people would work in the background. With <laughs> we, could, we could get to the bottom of this. So, so, PJ, we're so thrilled to have you. We're doing a short week this week, just, uh, just today and Thursday. We're doing two shows, and here's how we thought we'd divvy it up. We'd let you, uh, since we mentioned that you're both a guest and a host, tonight on the 4th, because it's our special show, you're a guest. Thursday, when we're doing an all-geek insider, uh, let our hair down show, you're just going to be a host with us. How's that sound? Does that sound right to you? Perfect. All right. So so we got to, you know, Stephen, best manners tonight, because she's a guest. If you're going to be, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to be just a jerk, I have to. Have to <laughs> if you're going to get out of line at all, save it for Thursday, okay? And that's the, okay. All right, that's, those, can do. Can do. Those are the ground rules. So, so we got a few a few fun topics. We always talk about the Declaration of Singularity on the Fourth of July. That's a blog post I wrote way back, and I'm going to say it was about 2005, 2006. So it's been around for a few years now. We're not going to read it. We have read it in the past. Um, I, I, I like the language of the Declaration of Independence so much. I, I always get a kind of a chill when I read even my kind of revised version. In fact, I like the Declaration of Independence so much. Here's how much I like it. I even like it on Fox when they do the Super Bowl on Fox. 
and they have the NFL players recite it. And I know a lot of people think that's cheesy and crazy, and why do they do that? But even that, I, I just that's how much I like the uh, the Declaration of Independence. But our, our our Declaration of Singularity has been this kind of you know a way of marking the Fourth of July and kind of bringing the future into alignment with the past and kind of recognizing that there are these big transitions, these big transformations that occur in history. And the you know obviously in the history of our country, the uh, the, the 4th of July is a, is a big one. And I, I, I guess, you know, my question going into tonight is, PJ, whatever happened to the future? You know, I read that, uh, I, I read my Declaration of Singularity, and I think, well, this is a fun, optimistic view of the future. Have, what's going on in the singularitarian, transhumanist community these days? Do you, do you think we're losing some of that, some of that kind of glowing optimistic view of the future? Do you think we're, uh, we, we, we've kind of got our, our, our heads down and our tails tucked between our legs a little bit? What, what's your take? I think that we're at an interesting point historically where the, a combination of seeing the steps of the singularity occurring around us, where technology is really accelerating, and Simultaneously, we have people who are very discom discomforted by that. Other people who have a more transhumanist bent are very excited about that. And that's creating a real tumult in how we look to uh, the singularity as a culture. And I'm, I think a lot of the, mm, how, the I guess the best way to put it, uh, combination of uh, discomfort, fear, etc., is actually a recognition that the future is coming. So when we're dealing with something like a declaration of, of singularity, uh, as transhumanists, we're seeing such a broad view of so many opinions, not just of people who don't necessarily think of themselves as transhumanists, but I would actually say within the transhumanist community, it's matured to a point where there are, for, there are so many nuances of what a supposed transhumanist or singularitarian or whatever other label you want to put on it, what other, you know, a futurist believes. Uh, so we fragmented, and we're not just fragmented within our community, we fragmented outside of our community. Hmm. Well, I, I would guess, you know, uh, uh, PJ, that what we're at now is a point at which these ideas, they, they pass the sniff test now. It's, it's no longer just uh, us crazy people that are talking about it. It's, they're, ma they're becoming mainstream, and, and therefore the fear, right? Absolutely. The, the, fear of ch the fear of change. It's no longer, you know, so crazy. To, to, to think about, you know, how the world will be once some of these things come into place. Like, you know, I mean, and some things are, have kind of some scary, some scariness to it. Uh, artificial intelligence, you know, that's, that's pretty scary. Absolutely. And, and you, can, you, can, you can understand that, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I think we've reached a point that it's no longer crazy to take these things seriously, and the general population is beginning to pick up on that. And there's some fear involved, and I, I think it's 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 a it's a natural progression. And with, from my perspective, I've always felt like I'm I'm involved because I want to help prevent future shock. The stories I tell, while they have 
action and drama and conflict, uh, and some you know negative possibilities, negative scenarios. I'm simply telling these stories so people understand what's coming. Um, the thing is, they're starting to see it all around them, and it is that that fear, and it is that concern, and some of these concerns are are completely valid. Some of them are not. Um, and that, and it's hard as a culture to separate what is a valid fear from what is an invalid fear. And, and you know, as someone who works in science fiction and fantasy and in Hollywood, I have to say that we're as much to blame for some of the um, more hilarious uh, fears, uh, you know, that, that get presented. Sure. Dystopias are more interesting, aren't they? Yeah. they make oh, absolutely, stories. but but really dangerous from a standpoint of people who need to from uh, from the standpoint of the next generation deciding they need to solve their problems. Right. Well, I, I want to read a passage from one of my favorite books, if I might, and see if this uh, see if this sheds a little light. This is. Uh, I'll just read it. As the people of Earth fragment economically, technologically, and an empire draws to a close, we do what we've done in similar periods of history, according to Peter Turchin. We skew to the extreme edges of ideology in search of comfort, answers, and leaders. We rail, posture, scapegoat, and dig in our heels, fearful of the transitions all around us. Does that sound familiar to you at all, PJ? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, is a little is a little snippet from uh, PJ's chapter in our book, Visions for a World Transformed. Uh, your wonderful, wonderful essay, "Only Connect," and I wonder if if that isn't the case. If 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 you know, we're at this state. If we're at this point where the stuff all just got real, right? We're going to go. Oh, this is this is all really happening. Then. When you look around and you think it feels like the world is more divided than than you remember it having been in a long time, You're, when when it, when it seems that people are more kind of at odds with each other and and distrustful of each other, very wary of each other than they've been in the past, that's why, right? It's because we're uncertain about the future. The the uncertainty of the future turns us against each other, I guess. Is that, is that a fair, is that overstating it or is that what's, what, what you see going yeah, on? All, all uncertainty, all fear turns us against each other. I mean, it yeah. always has. It's, it's, how, it's how humans are wired, sadly. Um, and the reason I turn to ideas of empathy and compassion as a, uh, a potential cure for that reaction is that when we understand that we're all in this together, when we understand that our tribe isn't just our family or just our small community that we, you know, the people we know, um, or just the, the city or state or even country we live in, when we realize that our tribe is something that is actually global and that what I do in my city will affect somebody all the way around the other side of the world, that's a... That's the, the, the impulse that I hope that we can grow as opposed to fear, which by its very nature destroys empathy. Um, we, we need to understand that we are all in this together and that the more we fight each other, the worse our outcomes are going to be. There is no good outcome to conflict. There isn't. Um, you know, they, one of the things I, I study a lot 
the ideas of non-zero-sum games. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in win-win scenarios. But there are also lose-lose scenarios. And, you know, we, we say we don't want a zero-sum game where someone wins and someone loses. We want something where everybody wins. But the lose-lose scenario, I mean, war is the classic lose-lose scenario. Right. Uh, no one wins. And we can claim a winner. We can call a winner. But, in fact, the winner has suffered greatly as well. And I'm just, from, from a greater sense of these forces of history, looking down the barrel of if we don't start pulling together, if we don't start seeing the humanity or transhumanity eventually in each other, um, we will have a lot of problems. It's, it's interesting to think that, that the technology that is enabling us to move towards these big transformations that are, that are really making them all possible has also enabled us in ways that we hadn't anticipated to, to divide. I, I, think about, I think about the way social media has driven the way the mainstream media works and how media generally has kind of driven the way our, our culture works. And, and, and I think about um, at, at the risk of getting into the specifics, which I don't want to do, and uh, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but there's actually a $5 fee for, for uh, mentioning a particular name on this show. I, obviously I, can't I can guess it. the name and I promise I won't be saying it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, but, and that's okay, a huge fine. It's huge. With, with the, that's five bucks, yeah. With, with those disclaimers <laughs> in place, um, doesn't it kind of feel like the way we do partisan politics in this country has become a zero-sum game? Doesn't it feel like it's, it's, it's moved well, into... Hadn't it always been, Phil? I mean... Um, I don't know. Maybe. But I don't, I it feels different now. Here's the difference. And, and I actually wrote about this a decade ago, way back in the original paper on empathy. Um, even back then, we were studying in media studies that there was a siloing of information. And we already knew that based on your cultural personality or political predilections that you were going to watch or read certain kinds of news. You're going to read certain kinds of books or watch certain kinds of movies. And it didn't matter where you were on that spectrum. It was very predictive of the kind of media you consumed. And what you discovered was, unlike back when we were young, when there were three big broadcast networks and PBS, um, and we had you know, major newspapers, which were basically how you got your news, and the evening news was much more national, that was it. And everybody watched or read the same news. So when we came to the water cooler, the mm -hmm. figurative water cooler to discuss the issues of the day, we were pretty much working from the same scripts, literally and figuratively. Right. Yeah, but, agreed. Yeah. But for at least a decade or more, we have had this siloing of information where people are finding like-minded people and only getting their information, both news and storytelling, from those outlets, from those markets, uh, from those books and stories. And... That creates a very dangerous skewing of reality because we now actually have different realities. 
We can't even agree what the basic definitions of certain words are. Right. We can't agree on the on on who not just who people are, what they do, anything. We we just can't agree. We actually see reality completely differently. And you know, I'm I'm someone who always says everything has a paradox behind it. You have to embrace the paradox. You have to understand that on one hand, the internet created one of the greatest communication flowerings in it well did in, in human history. Absolutely. But in another way, it also did create these tremendous tensions and polarities. Um, I also think that there's no pardon me for the uh, the sirens. I'm an urban girl now. Um, uh, I also think that it's whether it's coincidental or not, this timing of the internet and the growth of the internet with a period of time that, again, if you follow people like Peter Turchin and Cleo Dynamics, that and the, the 40 to 60 year cycles of, of history, that you know these people were already predicting that we would be kind of hitting a trough <laughs> right around now uh-huh. and that the internet job, is a tool yeah. to create and and amplify that the, those polarities and that trough I, I think about it, it, it seems to go beyond the news media too I was watching uh, snippets from oh, yeah. remember this movie Mr. Smith goes to Washington I'm sure you've seen it the original yeah. with, with, uh, with uh, Jimmy Stewart yeah. James Stewart yeah, yeah. Love that movie. Yeah. So if you watch that movie, it's very interesting because it's all political, but the conflict is between the honest, ideological, good politicians and the evil, corrupt machine politicians. And it never says who, who's which party. I, I, it, it avoids that. You, you get no idea of who's an R and who's a D in that movie. Yeah, it, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the story. Yeah. And, and I think, well, you know, we used to be able to have a story like that in this country. It, it could be part of our kind of collective mythology that we could all take away from the, yeah, we, you know, we're the good ideological people. And we've got to stay away from the corrupt, power-hungry machine people. Now, and I think, you know, we had, we had that all the way up until about, remember the movie Dave? Yes. Like with, yeah. yeah. I think that was the last time, other than like Air Force One or something like that, where the you know politics was part of the movie, but the party didn't really matter all that much, and it you know it it didn't it didn't come into it. I think it would be almost impossible to make that movie today because it's like the idea of good guy versus bad guy is now so ingrained in the idea of you know whose side are you on, which 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 way do you vote which, and and so it's it's not just that we've lost the news it's like we've we've kind of lost the common story and and that kind of swings it back to what you say in your I'm going to tell you it's fragmented so much Phil that it's not just um that you know you have to have the right letter behind your your uh your name to 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 get along with somebody it's fragmented within the letters if you know what I'm saying oh yeah, um, yeah. You know, there's, there's like purity, you know, we, we put purity tests on even friendships. You know, I mean, not only do you have to be in my political party, but you also have to believe that, 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 you know, and, uh, and, and if not, I don't want anything to do with you kind of deal. That's, I, I, I've, I've seen that in my own family and, uh, it's, it's just crazy. I, you know, we, you got, you got to get past these things. I will People say- are more important than that. 
I totally agree. I totally agree. I will say, Phil, that uh, I actually studiously uh, followed the same uh, thread in Revolution. I did not mention parties because mm -hmm. I did not believe that, that in the case of what I was saying was happening, uh, that party actually had much to do with it. So I think that there's a... Um, I, I actually think that people there are actually more people than you realize who would go look back at the Mr. Smith Goes to Washington template of honesty versus corruption being the polarity. Right. And would agree still that it is, you know, that, that it isn't necessarily about party, that it really is about uh, corruption. And the irony is that I would argue both sides believe that they are anti-corruption. They just don't agree on how to handle it. Right. And I, part of my, my issue about empathy and compassion is that a lot, you know, even pe people who, again, who may not have the same letter at the end of their name as you do, um, they want the same things most often. They, we're just not agreeing necessarily on the method by which to achieve them. But if we could agree that we wanted to pull in the same direction to fix something, I think that would get us a certain percentage of the way there. But yeah, how? How do, we, how, do we come to, <laughs> how do we come to agree on those things? I almost feel like, uh, swinging it back to your, to your essay, that the, the idea of bringing the empathy back means maybe we but, need some new well, stories. Well, you don't, you don't be personally insulting, Phil. I mean, when you're, I mean, don't, I mean that's a big thing right there is that uh, uh, when, when dealing with somebody that is, thinks differently from you, you don't, you don't start with the template that they're evil. Um, you, and you, and uh, you say, well, we can't agree on these things, so let's just set that aside. We can agree on this, and why don't we work together on this thing? And uh, I mean that, and that's and that doesn't have to be just our poli uh, politics, you know, our politicians that do that. It could be, uh, it could be, you know, you know, in other in other aspects of life too. So, well, in fact, that's uh, what got, I'm saying. I, I think maybe yeah. we want to we want to steer it out of the uh, political domain just yeah. for a moment, and and suggest that as a culture we got to come back together around some stories of where we're all the good guys again, right? Or where we where yeah. we divide up. The way we used to, you know, which is so that's great, PJ. Actually, that you mentioned that, and I, I hadn't even made that connection, but that's true. When when I read Revolution, and, and I compliment you on that, that there is no telling who where anybody falls on the uh, on the political spectrum, and I, I I've just been listening to Apex, uh, Ramez's uh, third book yeah. in his in his series, and he does the same thing. It's, I mean, you can tell who's a conservative versus maybe who's more liberal and that kind of stuff, but it doesn't determine whether someone's a good guy or a bad guy in the story, right? It's the, well, that's are, it, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. that, that until we're able to start having conversations about fixing things together, what are the things that we can accomplish as opposed to what are the things we can't? There are some things that we will never agree upon, but there's plenty we can agree upon. And if we could just focus on some of that, uh, we would go a long way to not only getting some, getting some things done, but disempowering the corrupt people who are making life difficult for the rest of us. 
That sounds great. So how do we do it? <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> Stephen, actually, you, you, made a really good, you made a really good suggestion. I, I don't know. It was a couple, three weeks ago we were talking about how to be – we were talking about uh, – I think the show was uh, called Let Us Eat Cake. It was just talking about in, increasing happiness in, in this life. And you mentioned something that uh, actually makes your life personally happier. Do you remember what you, what you said? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Um, stop listening to, uh, to, uh, to opinions, particularly, you know, and what I'm talking about is, you know, uh, talk radio or, um, or, you know, turn off the, you know, the, the, the station, particularly if they're telling you stuff you agree with. And why, why would, you know, why would stuff that you agree with, you know, why am I saying, you know, turn that off? Well, number one, they're not, you're not being educated about anything at that point. You're just, they're just preaching to the choir. But they're number just two, getting you all riled up is what they're doing, Steve. They're getting you riled up. They're telling, <laughs> now, you know, it, for me, you know, it's, it's, more, it's a whole lot more fun to turn on the news to a station that's going to be from the diametric opposite of, of my personal beliefs because when they say something that's crazy – it's hilarious to me. I don't know, um, but but if if I'm hearing from you know the the commentator that uh, is is telling me exactly you know is, is saying it exactly the way I want to hear it, and here's the things you need to be mad about, Steve, then I might be I might get mad about it, right? And uh, and my and what can you know what am I in my in, in in my in my life going to do about that particular problem at the national level? Not a whole lot, right? I mean, I can vote. And but that comes, you know, twice, you know, you know, every so often, once a year, maybe. And um, and so otherwise, what's the point of me on a random Tuesday getting upset about something like that? Right. Um, so I don't know. It's just it seems to me that if you want to be happy uh, and you know, increase your happiness by about five percent in this life, you know, turn off the opinion pieces that uh, that you already agree with. It's yeah, just going to make you mad. I wonder, I wonder if we could, if we, what do you think, PJ, if we could just maybe not turn it off altogether, but just cut down on our consumption of, of political uh, <laughs> content, how, how that would, uh, would, would that at least pave the way for maybe some of the kinds of uh, coming together that we're talking about here? Would oh, that ab- help? Absolutely. I think, I think, and, and also <laughs> even... Read futurist media instead. Uh, you know, well, uh, we're, hey, we're going to get to the alternative. Hang on, Stephen. I, I've got some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was also going to say, you know, just also quality, not quantity. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, things that are information rich as opposed to opinion rich, uh, data rich as opposed to supposition rich. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That that's you know that alone. Looking for that kind of information alone would improve everyone's life. Yeah, I, I I've kind of I've gotten to the point where if I see on social media I see something really outrageous, I just skip it. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to read that. I just the, the more outraged I'm supposed to be, the more likely I am just to go mm, no. I'll, I'll, I'll and and it's likely to be fake news anyway. Well, yeah, if the story's true, I'll, I'll catch it later in an actual media source. I'm not going to follow this. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. be led down that. I'm not going to be led down that path. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Cut down a little bit, because you know if you if you just if you're on Facebook all day and you're just getting madder and madder and madder, and then evening comes along and it's time for some entertainment and you turn on whoever Colbert or whoever and and they're all you know political. It's like it's 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 like it never stops. It's this endless funnel of of political outrage. So yeah, if we could if we could just notch that back a little bit, and then Stephen, to your point, what do we replace that with? Well, obviously, 
You know, we, we, we put out 90 minutes a week that people can listen to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the a, world transformed. Yeah, it's really. a fantastic alternative. But, but PJ, I yeah. think your suggestion would be, let's read a little, folks. Maybe, you know, let's, let's get, off the, uh, get, get off the social media and let's, let's find some good evocative stories that give us the ability to empathize with other people and, and, and just kind of back to square one with, That's with exactly being it. human. That's it. You know, learn about people who aren't like yourself. Learn about situations that are alien to you. Have some time to spend imagining being something and someone you're not. And that's a muscle that grows with greater and greater use. There you go. So we gotta we, we, we gotta get back on and stay on that. We just gotta work that muscle. I really like that analogy. I think that's exactly right. The empathy muscle. Well, I think you know you know repeat the golden rule, but put the put the group of people in that that you uh, that you despise the most. You know, yeah. do unto and then put that group of people in there. You know, <laughs> repeat that two or three times a day. <laughs> that's not a bad. <laughs> There's a uh, there, there's a great short story by Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson. It's probably two, two decades ago at this point because it was, it was looking ahead to the beginning of the, of the 21st century. In fact, it was probably, it's probably older than that, probably early 90s, come to think of it. But I, I don't know. Did you ever read a story, PJ, called uh, History of the 20th Century with Illustrations by Kim Stanley Robinson? No. Oh. I'd love to. Uh, everyone should read this story, and I will not, I, I, I will not dare to spoil the end of it, but basically it's about a guy who early 90s, mid 90s, somewhere in there, he has been contracted to write a coffee table book, A History of the 20th Century. And he's, it's a great story because he's dealing with depression, his marriage is breaking up, and he's traveling in the British Isles and he's looking at all these archaeological sites. It's just this wonderful bringing together of all these threads. The more he reads about the history of the 20th century, the more horribly depressing it is. <laughs> and you think, oh man, this is just, this is, how is this guy even going to write this book? And the story ends, I won't say, I won't say what happens at the end, but when you read it, you say, okay, that is either the most cynical thing I've ever read, or that is exactly what we have to do. And I think it's very much in line with 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 what you just described. So without spoiling it, I want to recommend to everyone, if you're going to start reading and start feeling some empathy, start uh, a, a good place to start generally is Kim Stanley Robinson. Uh, but uh, that story in particular, I think, would be highly recommended. All right, I'll do it. Well, well yeah. with that, I guess, gosh, if we already run out of time, uh, I was just about to I guess move we did, to our next yeah. topic. But you know what, PJ, you said you're going to come back on Thursday. And since I am. We're, since we're on to science fiction now, we can just keep that going, right? It's going to be an all-geek Thursday. Well, thank you, PJ, for being with us. Thanks, Stephen, for your contributions. It's great having you all with us. We are going to be back with a brand-new show on Thursday. We look forward to being with you all then. And until next time, live to see it. 